Welcome to episode 44 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. I'm happy to report that uh, Sarah and I, we had a great trip down to San Francisco this past week. Uh, the weather was in our favor. My uh, pain was relatively manageable. And uh, my talk, which uh, was for a pharmaceutical company that uh, specializes in cancer drugs, um, it was pretty cool. It got a standing ovation. Um, I'm glad we took the chance. Uh, we were pretty uh, hesitant at first when the opportunity came up, uh, the risk of germs, of traveling, um, and being away from uh, medical coverage. Uh, you can't get uh, travel coverage uh, for cancer being a pre-existing condition. Um, so we were taking a bit of a chance heading south, but uh, it all went uh, relatively smoothly, and uh, yeah, I'm glad we did it. As a bonus, when we returned to Calgary on Thursday evening, I had uh, two exciting packages waiting. Uh, those that uh, follow our Facebook forum, um, you got the news right away. That inventory for version 2 of the K-Lite Bikepacker Pro Dynamo Light, uh, which is a 1300 uh, lumen light now, uh, is now up on the site. We, had, we were able to get our hands on five of the units, um, as well as our first run of the Apodura bags. Uh, again, limited stock with those also. Speaking of Apodura, my interview today is with owner Tori Fehi. Uh, we get into the evolution of what I consider to be uh, a premium quality bikepacking bag business. Um, and uh, thank you for the questions uh, submitted by our listeners. I was uh, particularly interested in uh, James Luck's question about Mike Hall's custom Tour Divide bag. Uh, we get into that and a whole bunch more. Um, so yeah, let's uh, learn about how the snowstorm got started. Now, now I've never been to London. What's the weather like uh, at this time of year? Um, today was like four degrees and raining, so not particularly nice. But you know, people complain about it, and they're just—I uh, think it's overblown how how bad the weather is here. It's not as sunny. It, like something I miss about Calgary is the clear skies, um, but it's pretty civilized uh, like I, I don't even own a pair of gloves anymore um so <laughs> i i have to say i kind of like that yeah, i was gonna say does it does it even snow where you are um we did have snow uh just before christmas but it's like it'll stay for a couple of hours and then it's gone and of course nobody knows what to do when it snows it's kind of funny yeah so maybe the the obvious first question is uh uh, one that I don't think I've ever asked you, but why why the move from um, Calgary out to London, or, or did you start in London, move to Calgary, and then move back? Uh, no, actually, I, I was born and raised in Calgary. I, I spent thirty years there. Uh, loved it. I feel like a strong connection to it and consider it home. Um, uh, I feel really lucky to be Canadian and, and to have been raised there. Actually, um, is where I started cycling um that's where i fell in love with cycling uh I, and it's a it's a cool place in terms of uh quality of life uh the community the the mountains um I, london is a bit accidental um and i i'd say like we're living in london uh not because it's london but because it's uh, a chance to uh experience something a bit different, uh, be around different people, uh, and ideas and experiences. Um, it's a, it's a funny city in Calgary, as you know, um, like you can grow up with the same people, work with the same people 
which is really neat to see you, you know them for 30 years. Um, and, and it can also be a bit of a bubble. Uh, and we ended up here after, uh, a fair bit of travel. And I think one of the special things about London is the fact that there are people from all around the world. So at this moment in our lives where we're, um, working quite a bit on the business, um, and raising a young family, uh, so we don't have the same chances to travel, uh, and go meet people from other places. We sort of have them right outside our doorstep. Yeah. So does your, uh, your husband work with the business or what does he do? Yep. Uh, he's working full time with me uh, on the business. Okay. And did the, did the idea of Apodura start back in Calgary or was that when you moved to London? Um, neither. <laughs> uh, it, it's a, the, the path is not so, so straight as that. Um, so Apodura, the origins are a bit, uh, it's a bit complicated to go back there, but basically, um, this was a journey that started, uh, uh, after doing the tour divide in 2011. Um, I did the divides just after coming back from Africa. I had spent like, uh, four and a half months riding the length of Africa. That, that was a supported trip. Um, but basically I was in a, a moment in my life where, uh, I was in fairly good condition. Um, I was, uh, pretty motivated, uh, really enjoyed being on the move for, uh, for a few months, uh, found myself back in Calgary, uh, and kind of feeling uncomfortable, oddly, uh, being around, uh, all of the comforts of the city, uh, running water, um, a warm bed. <laughs> uh, and I just wanted to get moving again. And the timing was really good with the tour divide. Uh, so it seemed like a natural thing for me to do. Um, I was quite unprepared. I, I had, a uh, only, a, basically 10 days to, to get things together. And one of my friends, uh, who you may know, Craig Stapler, yes. uh, he, I, I blame him for, uh, infecting me with the bike packing bug. Um, but he was, he was really helpful, uh, to get me prepared for the divide, um, in terms of knowing where to look for resources. Um, and he's also the, the person who introduced me to, uh, basically rackless packing. Um, and so, uh, as you know, for the, for the divide, uh, traditional setup just really doesn't work for, um, the kind of terrain and the kind of distances that you want to do. Um, if you're wanting to do it in a competitive way, uh, or on the clock. Um, so the, the divide was an interesting experience. And for me, the experience of, uh, touring without a rock companions was, like it was a paradigm shift, paradigm shift. Um, I, I'd done a fair bit of, uh, bike touring prior to that. Um, but this changed everything. It, uh, I could ride faster and farther. I could ride on, uh, beyond gravel on, on like single track and I could take any bike that I wanted. Um, the, the difficulty was that at the time it was very difficult to get gear. Um, there were a few guys, uh, making pieces, but finding something that was in stock, um, or getting a response to an email, um, or if you had an idea about something you wanted to do a little bit differently, uh, it just, it, it was, uh, not a user's market at the moment. You basically needed to do it yourself. Um, so, so that's what we did. Um, uh, what else can I say? Uh, like that was, uh, 
the first snowflake, um, uh, which eventually became uh, this blizzard. Did, so did, did you have experience um, with, with, with sewing and making these, these sorts of things uh, previously, or did you have to start uh, from scratch when you did start making? Um, I wasn't starting from scratch. I, I, my mom is uh, fairly uh, crafty, uh, uh, so I grew up around a sewing machine and had uh, some comfort with that. Uh, I, by no means was I a uh, skilled uh, professional. Um, but I had a lot of knowledge as a user in terms of what I wanted, what I needed, how I needed it to perform. Um, and at first that was enough. Uh, and when like just the exercise of wanting to ride with other people, uh, drove us to, to look at ways to have people make things for us. And okay, so you you did the divide in in 2011, so the the year before I first uh, wrote it. So I can I can appreciate um, when you say it's it was challenging to find uh, bag makers, um, you know, that responded within a, a timely fashion and had stock. And I remember running into the similar challenges then. Um, so from 2011, how long did it take you to before you started Apodera? Um, we spent a good two years uh, trying to find a way to produce uh, the products that we wanted at the standards that we felt was necessary. Um, effectively, because because this is a product that you use in the wilderness that you rely on, on the one hand for your ple- your your leisure time, which is your most precious time, and on the other hand, um, in places where you're quite vulnerable, it was important for us that uh, we we could produce something that was of a standard that we, we could trust, um, uh, our, our, ourselves as users. Um, so it, yeah, I, I mean, it took some time following the divide to actually decide to, to set out on this jersey, this journey. Um, but it was basically two years, two and a half years. And the, uh, I, I hadn't, th- I don't know if I've ever asked this before, but where, where did the, the logo and the, the name came from it's it's a pretty unique name is, is it tied to anything in particular or is it just kind of like a, a google uh, just something that stands out um it it actually ties back to um some of my early experiences riding in calgary um i had a uh, some anxiety around races and um had decided to dress like a bee to distract myself from uh from that anxiety so the um uh, the, the word apigera comes from uh, basically a mash of two Latin words, apide, uh, which represents the bee family, uh, and durables, uh, which means lasting or durable. Uh, so uh, I felt that bees were a nice symbol for cyclists. Um, they they are light and they travel fast and far. They can be social and independent. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, durability and the ability to last was something that was at the core of what we were making. Okay. So now this makes total sense. So I won't get into all the, the user or listener questions right now, but, uh, Dion Clark, who I'm assuming, you know, he, he asks, uh, do you still own the infamous B costume? (laughs) Um, uh, uh, well, in short, yes, of course. Um, I've, even though I've spent the last 10 years of my life trying to minimize uh, the amount of material things uh, 
around me, um, there's some things that you just can't let go. And that would be one of them. Hmm. Well, that's cool. I didn't realize there was an actual story tied to that. So that's, yeah, it's interesting to learn that. So the, um, okay. So moving to, to London, um, you know, I, I don't really know that much, um, about making bags and, uh, about materials, just very basic stuff, but is, for for what you're doing on the scale that you're doing it is is there any advantage to being in London over Calgary? Um, I think so. I, well, I, there there are probably several. Um, I, I'd say one is the uh, talent pool here uh, is quite diverse um, and rich. Uh, so we, over the last couple of years, we've built out a, a, a team, um, an international team, um, uh, that is all now based in an office uh, in London. Um, but that, that brings a host of experience, uh, from their varying backgrounds around the world. Uh, and I think, uh, Calgary is awesome. And in terms of the, the people within the community and the skills that they have, um, there are certainly, uh, there's certainly a rich talent pool there. So I, I don't mean to disparage that in any way. Uh, but the fact that there are so many people flowing through the city here gives us access to, um, designers, uh, logistics, um, developers, um, the people with all different types of skill sets that I think would be difficult to find just about anywhere else in the world. Um, additionally, uh, we we service a global market, so um, we have customers in Japan, Korea, New Zealand, um, and through the Americas. So we're basically right at the middle of that, um, which enables us to communicate with them more seamlessly. Uh, we can deliver product um, fairly quickly uh, because this is a global hub. Uh, so London definitely has some advantages. So you, you mentioned that uh, uh, growing up, your mom had a bunch of sewing machines around. But as far as um, your own experience uh, on, on the schooling end, what did did you go to college or, or university in Calgary? And what, what did uh, you no. take? Uh, <laughs> well, my, my academic background is basically economics, public policy and business. I, I did my undergrad in Calgary um, and I pursued master's degrees, um, internationally. So, uh, after leaving Calgary in 2009, that I spent time in Singapore, uh, France and New York, uh, in my studies, um, which I can't draw a direct line from my studies to what I'm doing now, other than it's shaped my view of the world. <laughs> and, um, I, the, the, the connection to Apidura is really through my experience cycling. Oh, that's great. So uh, it took me a while to actually realize that you were behind the business. Uh, I, you know, when you go to the ambassador page, you see uh, your name on there and a little bit about your story. But it, it took me a while to to realize that you're you're you know you're the originator. You're the you're the owner. I, I'm curious. Is there any particular reason why why you don't see your name kind of more front and center, or um, you know, hear more from from you direct? Is it is it a shyness thing or what is it? Um, it's a fair question. It's, uh, probably partly related to that, but I, I'd say the, the main reason is I don't 
feel that the business is about me. Um, the, the cycling community in general, uh, I think we all depend on each other and we all learn things from each other. Uh, so, uh, it's not, I, I don't feel that it's, uh, something that, uh, is appropriate to, to shine a light on a, a, a single individual. Um, Epidura, uh, is a collective effort. Um, I got here through, I, like even to the point of experiencing, uh, bikepacking through, through the support, uh, and help of others. Um, the business itself doesn't operate on me alone. Um, uh, we're a group of people who all love cycling, um, and have come into it from different directions. Uh, so my, I guess my pre- preference was to focus on, uh, what it is we do, uh, the things that we make and why, um, rather than, uh, spending time on, uh, the story of a single individual. You're able to put your ego aside. I think that's uh, pretty rare yeah, in business, at least, uh, from, from how I've experienced it. So, uh, kudos on that. So going back to the the origins of the, the the company, um okay, so you start making bags and right out of the gate did you uh start making a complete line of bags or did you just focus on say like top two packs? You know, how did that start? Um a good question. Uh actually when we when we first started trading um in twenty fourteen, uh we we only had three products uh and so it was really focused around the things that were the most difficult for us to get. Um, and now we've got about 30, uh, uh, unique products. They, uh, we've, uh, <laughs> deliberately tried to keep this number as small as possible and stick to, uh, things where items where we feel like we can add value. Um, but every time we make something, we have ideas about how to make it better, uh, or how to make something else. Uh, so, um, we didn't, we didn't start with a full lineup and the lineup has really evolved based on, uh, the things we've learned as we've, um, we've brought a, a, an idea from concept to production, uh, and then also feedback. We, we work or listen to our customers, um, uh, and the ambassadors that we work with. We, we take ideas from using our, the products ourselves. Uh, and we, yeah, we just have a, an idealist that keeps growing. So looking at, looking at all the bag makers that are, are out there, I I'm often curious, is there much that can be done still in regards to innovating when it comes to packs? Like, um, are there new materials coming down the pipeline that can change things, um, new methods, uh, or new styles of packs, or would you say your focus is more on improving what you what you have versus, I guess, innovating and trying to create, reinventing the wheel. Uh, I'd say there's definitely still a long way to go. We're just at the start. Um, I, I think it's exciting. Um, the developments over the last couple of years, the uh, increased interest in bikepacking, which has brought in other producers. Um, and I think one of the, aside from bringing more choice to the consumer, um, which is good for us. Uh, it's also a catalyst to, for everyone to step up our game, um, and to, to look at ways we can, uh, use these products to, uh, enrich or enhance our cycling experience. I think 
one area is ease of use. Um, this is a, an area that hasn't really been addressed um, to to its full potential. Uh, I, I, we've made an effort as a business to incorporate um, new manufacturing techniques uh, to to improve uh, the product. We were the first to come out with a seam -wall, fully seam welded line. Um, and and I definitely think in the next five years you'll see a lot of uh, innovation coming forward, and, and some of that will be coming from us this year. Uh, but we'll talk about that at the right moment later in the year. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm looking forward to that. Um, okay, let's get into some of our listener questions. Okay, so we we answered uh, Dion's infamous bee costume question. Let's see what else we got here. We got some more this afternoon, which was great to see. Uh, let's give me one second here. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Let's go with James Luck. He's asking, uh, I'm curious if the front handlebar bag uh, that Mike Hall rode with on his last tour divide will ever go into production. And I'd forgotten uh, that he'd used a different bag. I'm not quite sure exactly how it was different, but it yeah, maybe you could explain what was different about it, and and yeah, if you plan to to produce it. Um, sure. So uh, what we did with Mike, we we actually do this with a, a number of uh, athletes uh, in order to experiment with different ideas, um, uh, and, and to get them tested, uh, to get different types of feedback. Mike had some specific ideas about um, how he wanted his pack to attach and, um, detach from the handlebars. Uh, he had a very specific, um, pack list that, uh, he wanted the, the pack tailored around. Um, and then he had some preferences around opening and closure. Um, the short answer is <laughs> the precise pack that we designed for him will probably not be, uh, made, uh, available on mass. Um, but we will probably come out with something similar that has, uh, there were some, there were, we had some good feedback, um, from his experience, uh, with the pack and it's something that we're still working to, to, I guess, make more versatile, um, and, uh, usable. I pulled up a few pictures. I was trying to understand you know, what other than the shape of it, what made it different was, was it a kind of a front loading pack versus a stuff, more or less a stuff sack from the, the sides? Yeah, it, it didn't have a roll and like, uh, the current handlebar packs that we produce, um, which was something that he, uh, had asked for, but which ultimately didn't, uh, zippers can be tricky when you're, when you're stuffing things in it's, there's a surprising amount of complexity in some, some simple products. And one of the reasons you see roll closures in a lot of packs is because, um, although zippers are, are, are nice for accessibility, uh, they don't survive well under a, a lot of pressure. Yeah. And mud and grime and, you know, yeah. difficult conditions for weeks on end. Yeah. One, on a bad tour divide year, you could probably you quite easily throw the throw out your packs at the end of uh, you know a run. <laughs> uh, at least from my experience, um, you definitely want to give them a good wash. Yeah, 
Okay, moving on to Greg Van Tegum. Um, he said, uh, I've owned th- three different seat packs and have never been totally satisfied um, with the way they secure to the seat and post uh, when fully loaded. Um, all have too much sway, side-to-side movement. Um, what can you say about the stability of the product over others? Um yeah. Okay. So his question is in regards to, yeah, he doesn't like the sway. So how does Apodura combat that um, versus how others, I guess, deal with that issue? Okay. Um, sure. Uh, there are a few features that we uh, introduced to the saddle pack uh, basically to address this. Um, the first would be the internal structure um, and having something slightly more rigid it, uh, just to keep things in place and in the direction that they're supposed to be. Um, in terms of the contact point with the with the seat post, we're using Hypolon, which is uh, a rubberized nylon, uh, the surface of which is basically like an eraser. Uh, so it's sticky, but it's not abrasive. So it's not going to um, wreak havoc on a, a carbon seat post or uh, affect a, a nicely anodized uh, Thompson seat post. Um, but it, it's the the stickiness allows it to basically grip um, the, the the saddle uh, or the, sorry the seat post um, better than traditional fabrics. Um, I, I would say aside from that, we've also tried to limit um, the capacity of the saddle packs. One of the one of the issues with a saddle pack is uh, perceived sway and the fact that you have probably two to four kilograms uh, of weight right underneath the saddle. Even if it doesn't move when you're riding out of the saddle, um, it's going to feel like it does uh, just by virtue of what uh, having weight there does to the center of gravity on the bike. Um, so we've tried to uh, guide uh, people toward a more balanced setup uh, by producing uh, packs that go on other parts of the bike so you can distribute the load a bit more evenly uh, and also to avoid the temptation Although we get many requests for, can you make a bigger saddle pack? That uh, we we really don't believe that this is um, path to an enjoyable uh, riding experience um, to, to load up too much on the saddle. Gotcha. And I don't I don't know if this is a, a proprietary or um, um, a patented feature that some other companies use, but has, has a rail system ever come into play uh, with your packs? Um, can you describe what you mean? Uh, I, I'm trying to think. It might be something only that uh, Porcelain Rocket does uh, out of Calgary, but they have. Um, oh, uh, secret. Yeah, it's, it's like a two. I'm just trying to remember the setup, but it's like two rods that's attached to the seat post that extends. I think the bottom of the pack, if I recall, or yeah, bottom or top. And yeah. they basically hold the pack in place and don't allow it to sway at all. I, I think it's an interesting uh, idea, uh, and I, I respect uh, Scott for having uh, developed or like uh, tested out uh, this idea. On our side, I guess if you've ever had a seat post clamp break, <laughs> um, then it, it, particularly mid-ride, um, it might lead to some hesitation to put any more stress on on this part of the bike so 
on our side, we, we focused on softer solutions that are um, not placing a, additional stress on high stress areas uh, and which are adaptable uh, that can be used with carbon seat posts um, and a wider variety of bikes. Gotcha. In uh, speaking on seat posts, uh, next question comes from uh, Bonnie. I apologize, I'm, I'm going to butcher your last name, I'm sure, but uh, Bonnie Gagnon Larvik. I, I, I probably totally butchered that, Bonnie, but Bonnie runs uh, or manages uh, one of the popular online uh, bikepacking forums on Facebook. Um, she was asking Do these packs work with the Thudbuster? seat post um all right, well, yeah let's start there do you are you familiar with that seat post oh i definitely am <laughs> um I, yes they will i would recommend it only with the short travel um the longer travel one there's just so much movement um that it can work but the it will significantly decrease the lifespan of your pack gotcha uh, next question is, uh, and I know the answer, but uh, does it come with a dry sack? So obviously you have two lines of, of packs. You've now uh, rebranded them, as I understand. So there's the expedition and the, the backcountry line. Um, so one is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is the main differentiation that one line has uh, waterproof material and one does not? Um. It, simply yes, uh, but uh, the for the so the backcountry line is our original line of products. Uh, it's it's produced with um, a sailcloth called VX twenty one that's produced in the US. Uh, it's a waterproof fabric, but because it's a, a stitched product um, in a sustained rain, uh, water can come in through the seams. So uh, my like when I've ridden with these, if I, if I know I'm going to be facing conditions, uh, with sustained rain, I, I typically organize my stuff inside of the pack, uh, in, in small dry sacks. Anyhow, uh, our second line, um, uh, the expedition series is seam welded. So it's fully waterproof. Um, we, we have hands-free vents, uh, that are hidden, uh, so that they're, uh, the pack's contents are protected from rain, uh, even sustained rain. Um, and so they are, uh, fully waterproof and it's not necessary to, uh, to rely on dry sacks for sensitive items. Okay. So this was a question I faced when I was putting in our first order for uh, bike pack Canada, but why, why would someone, what, what is the advantage of not ordering the, the waterproof bags? Like, is there some advantage that the, the non-waterproof has over the other? Like, is it, because weight, I imagine, is is pretty negligible. Oh, uh, it, it's a fair question. It's actually um, funny. It, it, the The seam welded line, uh, the Expedition series, uh, was a long time in development, and one of the key challenges for us was trying to come up with a seam welded product um, that was also still quite lightweight. Um, in order in order to weld uh, fabric, it needs to be coated. Um, with the uh, TPU in this case, um, which makes the, the fabric quite heavy. Um, and so initially we anticipated that the, this line would be quite a bit heavier, but we were also, um, in, in, in parallel in that design, uh, process, uh, we ended up making a, like working with a mill to, uh, develop a fabric specifically for that line. Um, 
And in parallel, when we were looking at the design and how to construct this uh, using welding technology, um, it meant a completely different pad pattern for the pack. And we rethought the internal structure. And in doing that, we were actually able to take out quite a bit of weight, which resulted in an expedition series, uh, the, the, the welded line, um, being, depending on the size, uh, competitive in weight um, with the backcountry series. So the difference, the main difference is uh, the backcountry series is really designed uh, more for off-road application. Um, so in terms of the durability of the, the fabric, um, it would be a better choice if you're if you're out in the bushes and uh, anticipate more friction or abrasion uh, issues. Um, I guess there's also a a feel in terms of the fabric, um, depending on what you're if you're uh, packing more compressible items, uh, like colder weather, um, colder weather touring, taking larger sleeping bags. Um, the backcountry line is slightly better adapted for that because some of the capacities are larger, um, and the fabric is a bit more pliable. Gotcha. The, in the, the waterproof, um, technique that you have, um, so I'm thinking about uh, my rain jackets that I've had in the past, and and you know the more you use them, eventually they start to lose their effectiveness as far as their waterproof ability. And there's different sprays and things like that that you can buy. Is is that will th will that be the case for these packs too? Eventually, um, you know, like the jackets, they they lose their effectiveness. The good news in both cases is no. Um, for the, for the backcountry series, so the sailcloth that we use is a four-ply laminate. Um, and by using a laminate, basically you uh, – uh, actually, I'm going to rewind a bit. First of all, your rain jacket issue, uh, the issue is breathability. Um, one of the reasons why the waterproofness goes away is that most of those fabrics are intended to be breathable. Um, so there are some constraints in terms of how they can produce that textile um, that creates the temporariness uh, – of the waterproofness feature. Um, but then when you look at, uh, other waterproof, waterproof items, like say a backpack, um, that you may, if you have an older backpack, you may notice after a few years or some heavy use, the inside of the, the fabric starts to peel away and suddenly the water can pass through. Um, that, so in which case it loses its, um, yeah, waterproofness, uh, the sailcloth that we use, um, being a four ply laminate doesn't have the same issue because it, it, it's not stretching. So you don't have an opportunity for the waterproof layer, uh, to peel away or deteriorate. Uh, literally, uh, it is, it, it doesn't need to be breathable. You can, you can have, um, a layer in there to prevent passage of water in both directions. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, non-stretchability enables it to maintain its integrity over time. Um, likewise on the expedition line, um, the, the character of the fabric hasn't been, um, I guess produced to, to allow uh, a transfer of, of water in, in one direction. So it won't be vulnerable in the same way as a rain jacket. Hmm, interesting. Well, there you go. I just learned something too. <laughs> um, okay. Bonnie had two other questions and they, they relate to, 
uh, carrying capacity and uh, the size of the bags. And uh, I think I'll just quickly answer in saying that uh, uh, with all the bags, there's usually, I think, like two to three options in regards to the, the sizing and uh, carrying capacity uh, to fit to fit almost every kind of, well, the, the frame bags is always a tough one, especially, um, with, with, uh, kind of wacky, uh, you know, f- any curved frames, for example, but, uh, yeah, you have quite a few options out there for all different bikes. While we were talking, um, one question just came to mind and that is, um, over the years that you've had the business, what, would you say are, are maybe like the top three lessons you've learned when it comes to um, materials um, or, the, or the, the types of bags people are interested in or, or how to produce the bags? Like what, what, I guess what are the top three lessons you've learned in running the business since you've had it? Oh, three, <laughs> three lessons. I don't know if I can narrow it down. Um, I, I, I'd actually... Uh, like a moment to think about that because literally uh, we learn lessons uh, on a daily basis. Well, okay. How about, how about this? Not, they don't have to be the three, but how about just, um, you know, any three that come to mind in, in recent history? I think, well, to be honest, a, a key one uh, is it, not super specific. It's just to follow your gut. Um, when we started, there were uh, there was not a lot of people around us um, doing the same thing, and um, it wasn't really certain what how, how big the market was or whether it was going to be worth doing this. Um, we just felt that as cyclists, this was something that we we needed, and um, the people that we were riding with or talking with um, kind of felt the same. Um, and, and then if you take this a step further in terms of how we've built our business, uh, like we, uh, my husband and I don't come from a, a cycling industry background, so we didn't build the business in a, in a traditional way, <laughs> uh, which I think has enabled us to do things a bit differently um, and, and has benefited the business and the products that we make. Um, I guess an example of this is we, we don't do seasons. Uh, a lot of bike companies come out with a 2018 model uh, that's basically just a different color, um, but makes all of the things that they did before obsolete. Um, and it's not a very sustainable model. Um, so, but but it's difficult when you start a business to to figure out how you want to do things, how you think things should be, um, when everyone else is doing things a bit differently. And I think so far the lesson that we've taken is that's okay. Sometimes, sometimes everyone else doesn't have the right answer or, or their answer is fine, but it's not quite right for what you're doing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe wrap things up here. Um, I was, you know, we haven't talked too much about your, your own bike packing experience. You mentioned the divide and, uh, uh Africa, was that trip with was that the tour de Afrique that you were on? Yep. Oh, yeah, okay. that's right. Cool. Yeah, I've I've had that one on my radar for for many years. I think that looks like a pretty cool experience. It it was amazing. I, I mean, um it, it's a very different experience than traveling solo uh and it has its pros and cons. I think as an organization they they do a great job 
Uh, and I've, I've made some lifelong, uh, or friends that I'll have for life, uh, from that experience. Um, it, it was absolutely worth, uh, four months of my life. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, looking ahead to 2018 and beyond, do you have any, uh, other big trips? I, I know you have, uh, is it just the one, uh, young child? Yeah, we have a, a year and a half year old and, uh, I'm, we're due to have another in about a week. So oh. 2018 will be, uh, a bit sidelined. <laughs> um, but we, well, uh, we've, we've got some good memories under our belts, um, and had some, some great bikepacking experiences, uh, that I think will hold us until we can get both of the little ones out on the road with us in the future. Well, that pretty much takes care of the question on uh, what's the next big uh, expedition. So that, that's taking a bit of a backseat uh, role for now. But uh, maybe back to the business side of things. Um, is there is there anything that we didn't discuss that uh, you'd like to share as far as, uh, you know, anything new and exciting or, or, or goals for the business for this year? Um, well, I think uh, I hinted at... Uh uh, goals or, or things upcoming for, for the year in terms of products, uh, from us. But I guess if I think about as a business, what we want to do, um, for the coming year, uh, at the risk of, of sounding a bit, uh, overly ambitious, one, one of our priorities, um, in this, in this segment that seems to be coming, that's growing and becoming more popular, um, and having a lot more commercial interests, uh, enter the space. One of our priorities will be to to help protect um, this little oasis uh, uh, community um, of bikepacking. Um, the it, it's exciting to have commercial interest and competitors in the space. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, in terms of consumer choice, um, being a catalyst for uh, innovation. Uh, and basically expanding the gospel and bringing more people into the sport. Um, the, the, the commercial interest is great in that regard. Um, but it, it can also be a bit dangerous and, and you can see that in other sports, uh, like pro cycling would be a good example. Um, and I, I think when I think about what drew me into bikepacking, what I think appeals to others who have come into the sport is a bit of its innocence, um, its integrity, the members of the community that uh, that really commit a lot of themselves and have a lot of passion for what they do. This is something very, very unique about the bikepacking community. Um, when you think about guys like uh, Matthew Lee or Scott Morris or you, uh, Nathan Jones, Adrian Sullivan, um, Mike Hall, uh, the guys who thanklessly in the shadows are shaping the community and the sport and spreading, uh, spreading the goodness of the sport. Uh, one of our priorities is trying to figure out how to support these people, um, and, and help you to keep going without having a heavy hand in, um, what direction you go. Uh, and, and also making sure that, you have the support that you need from us as community members uh, so that you don't need to stop what you're doing or change what you're doing. Hmm. Yeah, very cool. And that's, uh, 
you know, says a lot about the business and it's, it's not something that, uh, you know, our listeners will, will, will know a lot about. These are the, you know, conversations that often happen by email. You know, you and I have chatted countless times. This is the first time we chatted by phone, but, um, you know, about my goals for Bike Pack Canada and how Apodura can help support those goals. And, you know, I've, I've appreciated being an, an ambassador for the business, but my, main priority with with any partner that I work with and I, I I know you guys appreciate this is is how can we collectively um you know build and and support these communities and you know what do each of us what strengths do each of us bring to the table to make that happen and so the the bags are great but I, I think the 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 connections and the the community we're forming behind the scenes is is really where the difference is is going to be made so Exciting, exciting times ahead. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for being a, an active partner. I've in the past, any sponsorships that I've had where they just gave me product and sort of just beyond that, maybe a once a year email, I, they never worked out. I, I was always looking for these uh, uh, more, more of a relationship with a two way communication. And uh, so there's, there's bound to be some, some, some fruitful uh, results that, that come out of this and um yeah it's great to hear that's not just with me but uh with with other sites uh i know like bikepacking.com and um other individuals uh definitely well, we're really happy to be working with you and uh i mean coming from calgary uh i i'm really happy to see the impact that you're having and the the work that you're doing to to build the community out there I hope you get uh, the cross Canada routes uh, dialed. Uh, really, really consider Northern Canada. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we're excited to do something great with you. Yeah, actually, on the the Northern Canada. So we were talking about cross Canada routes, and you put out kind of the novel idea of like, well, why do you have to go east to west? Why not north south? And um, my my only hesitation was my own limitation in knowing what gravel roads existed um beyond or south of the dempster highway but uh i think they do exist so we'll, we'll definitely keep working on it and it's funny you should bring it up because actually just this afternoon i posted a video from um i think it's from salsa um there uh, it was a family they supported that rode the dempster highway and then all down through uh, bc so I'll, I'll i'll connect with them to get a better sense of the the route they took but uh yeah, I'd love to explore more of that region too. And thank you for the reminder also about uh, Craig Stapler. Craig, if you're listening, I, I, uh, I'd love to connect and uh, hear what's uh, hear what you've been up to since that last uh, tour of Ohio. I'm trying to remember what year that was now, 2000, 2013 or something that that uh, that he backed out. But uh, yeah, another another great guy to know. But. Uh, uh, I know it's late. What time is it where you are? Uh, it's about 20 after 9. 20 after 9, yeah. I'll, I'll let you get back to uh, the family, Tori. And uh, yeah, thanks for the time this evening. And uh, look forward to chatting again soon. And uh, we put up the bags uh, yesterday afternoon on uh, bikepack.ca. So looking forward to get, getting those rolling. And uh, yeah. Great. We wish you the best of luck and uh, look forward to working with you this year. Awesome, Tori. All right, we'll, we'll chat again soon. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye now.